<laughs> How much maple syrup do you eat on a weekly basis? Um, I always have an extra can in my cupboard. Nice. But not not that not that uh, not that crap you find in the airport. Hi, I'm Romo Santiago, the founder of Experiment Nation. Today we have a different kind of episode for you. In today's episode, Gerda, the founder of Qualitative, is asking me questions from you, the community. If you're interested in how Experiment Nation got started, how I make time for it all, and what kind of maple syrup I like, well, this is the episode for you. As always, thanks for listening. Now on to the episode. Hello, everyone who is watching this. My name is Gerda, and I am the co-founder of Qualitative, which is a small CRO agency. And today I am here to interview Rommel and ask him questions about how and why he started Experiment Nation. And I wanted to do this because the whole like idea of building a community around your business or your brand is super hot topic right now. And I see a lot of people doing it and it's kind of hard, but Rommel has somehow somehow managed to build something successful. So I thought it would be interesting to ask you a bunch of questions, how you did it and and how you feel about all about all of it. So thank you for for being here and uh, agreeing to thank do this. Thank you for having me on my show. <laughs> You're welcome. No, but no, seriously, thank you for hosting. It's, it, I'm always happy to be here. <laughs> cool. And um, maybe let's start with like, your new job. You recently got a new job, didn't you? Congratulations. I, thank you. Thank you. I, I started at Optimizely about a month ago uh, at the time of this recording. Uh, I head up, go to market there for their feature experimentation line of business, mm -hmm. which is, is pretty fun. You get to be uh, knee deep in experimentation, talk to everyone who's really into it. So that's, that's a nice change. That's all I'll say. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's been good so far. Nice. And actually, one of our anonymous questions was exactly about that. Like, how is this new job going to influence your sort of, I don't know, direction with Experiment Nation, if at all? Yeah, I had some time to think about this. Um, even before I took the job, I was like, what, what happens if I join a vendor of some sort? But I don't think it will change anything. It's something I, I pretty much laid out pretty clearly with Optimizely that these are separate things. The, the, the tricky bit is we're all talking to the same people. So I'm trying to keep those worlds separate, but from, uh, what gets published, what doesn't get published, not much changes really. I'm still interested in looking for interesting conversations and topics and people and, and get those voices heard. So that mandate has never changed. And I don't see any reason for it to change in the future. Mm -hmm. I imagine they, benefit quite quite a bit from your exposure and all that you've built already as well right they benefit indirectly i think mm -hmm. because i've had conversations so i can sound like i know what i'm talking about um i, I know what i'm talking about half the time really but um they benefit in that regard in in terms of the actual workings of it that they're, they're pretty um hands off so they don't know much about that mm-hmm well, yeah, it's super cool to see uh, you working in such a large company and doing all of this on the side. And maybe that's been like one of my questions as well. Like, how do you have the time to do all of this? Because 
even before Experiment Nation wasn't like your full time job, was it? No, no, no. It was it was never a full time job. It was always on the mm -hmm. side. Um, how do I do it? I I work on stuff well in advance, um, weeks, months, m quarters, if possible. Um, so you're you're familiar with the conference that starts way in advance. I, I work on mm -hmm. that content well before we publish. Automation is my best friend, so <clears throat> I write up the posts um, pretty far in advance, and. The only times I'll start getting my hands in there in real time is when I realized I'd made another typo, which happens more often than I'd like to admit. Um, but yeah, scheduling, planning in advance. Um, yeah, that, that, that's that's pretty much how I do it. It's, it's I try to fit it where I can. Mm -hmm. Is it just you or do you have anyone helping you with all of that? Um, I have guest hosts that come onto my podcast from time to time. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe you know her. Is Gerda. Uh, but yeah, I, I do have guest hosts. So that helps me because I, I do all the editing. Mm -hmm. um, I help source the interviews. I help with the guidelines and stuff like that. But uh, for the most part, that's the help I get. Everything else I do. Um, so the survey stuff, the report stuff, the, the site stuff, unfortunately, is me. Um, I used to be a, a, a developer back in the dinosaur ages. So I kind of have an idea of what I'm doing, but half the time, like, I don't know why this is broken. And I, I just struggle for like hours trying to figure out how to get people logged into the system again. So have you tried uh, to make uh, good use of AI to help with site building? Um, not the site building itself. I, I have made a AI chatbot, which was mm -hmm. cute. It was, it's not a huge project, but I haven't leveraged it to do much for me um, yet. I'm sure. One day it will, as, as if I, if you believe all the LinkedIn posts, it's going mm -hmm. to change my life and uh, take me out of my job. So I'm waiting for that. Day. No, I think somebody still needs to give it directions because it's, it's not that's, very That's what good. the experts say, yeah. but that's not what every company seems to think. Just AI everything. True. Yeah. We just like replatformed our entire site and, uh, Ryan also has like a development background, so he was able to do it with AI, but it, like I wouldn't be able to do it because I don't have a development background. So like, yeah, I don't, I don't know how people are just doing it without having the actual skills. I think it's a lie. So. <laughs> yeah, we'll never know. Give it a few years. AI will build something for AI. I'm sure. True. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure we'll see lots of interesting stuff. Probably. Um, but back to Experiment Nation. So I imagine that anyone watching this video already knows what this concept maybe is. Half, half of them, maybe a third. <laughs> but I mean, they have to find the video somewhere and they see that you have this YouTube channel and yeah. podcast and all that. Sure. But like, could you, in your own words, explain what Experiment Nation is? Like, because I feel like it's much more than just a podcast, right? Oh, that's a great question. Um, obviously, the word community comes up to mind, mm -hmm. but I, the only the the joining thought or the unifying thought behind it is it, it's a place where voices can be heard, and I think that's the the, the main theme of Experiment Nation. Where there's a lot of other communities and they focus in different areas of it. This one is more about um, letting people come into the community and not really be judged. Like that happens a lot. It, I like. Can you have... can you expand on that? What do you mean 
that it happens um, a lot. What what is the judgment? If you ever this this is my face of thinking really fast on how to phrase something in, in a in a nice way. I think people who have been around in the industry have a very set way of doing things and they have very strong opinions behind it and they feel that everyone should do it their way. Which honestly, I've been in product management, I've been in development, analytics, I've, it's the same pattern over and over and over. The people who are in the industry first speak the most, get the most exposure, and they want everything to go um, according to their vision of it. So I don't like that. <laughs> I, yeah, I yeah, think there's I, value I, hearing new voices. Mm -hmm, I agree with you 100% that the loudest voices always get the most attention, right? And mm -hmm. that's what I really liked about the the conference that you put on. Um, first of all, it was just kind of like a good entry, low stakes way to get experience because it was pre-recorded. Yeah. And the sort of winners or whatever were chosen based on like you actually have to do something you have to put together this talk as opposed to a lot of the other awards in our industry just go to the people that have the most followers and can you know sort of share the thing like oh please vote for me and then that's it interesting right. that you um you raised that because every time i do something like an award or call out the the amount of struggle <laughs> that happens where it's like how can i make this so it can't get gained how can I mm -hmm. get this to not have someone with the largest following always win? Um, so there's, there's a great deal of thought and pain and struggle. And, I, and every time I publish something like win, a, a winner's list or a list of folks to follow, it's always followed with a lot of what grief am I going to get in about 15 minutes? Um, well, you can't make everyone happy with that no, sort of thing. Like somebody yeah. has to lose and somebody has to win. That's it. Yeah, I, I try to make it fair. I try to make it uh, representative in some way. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure that like the, the, my perspective on diversity and inclusion and all that evolves um, and it will continue to evolve. So I'm sure in a few years, I'll look back to now like, oh, I could have done a better job, but you know, you do the best you can. True. And actually one of the anonymous questions was about diversity as well, because that's also a really hot topic right now. And the question was, what standards can be put in place to make communities legitimately diverse? Because that's one of the wow. sort of criticisms of a lot yeah. of these communities as well, right? Um, I can't speak for the other communities, but I could say what Experiment Nation does. So, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but at the beginning, I used to interview anyone who would talk to me. Because <laughs> I was nobody, um, and I, I reached out to all the big names, and the big names were, um, for better words, all white guys. Like they, so I had a string of I think three months um, of white guys in my interviews. You know, I, and I'm just thinking of who's going to talk to me. And then I wrote, I had a panel of statisticians, and they're all they're all white guys. And I, I the title was like, learn from some of the best statisticians in the, in the field or, or what I can't remember anymore. And I forgive me. I don't remember who, who said it, but it was life changing where someone poked at me and said, you're telling me there's no statistician who's a female, a person of color of someone who's not, I just like, she just, I was, um, I, I took that comment. And I was like, humbling. Well, I suck. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the truth is like, 
people try. People try to do their best, and you 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 often don't see what you you've been doing, right? And at that that day, and I, I started keeping a list of well, what's the what's the representation of my entire interview uh, roster or what have you or agenda? And it was like this was one kind of person, and this was the rest. It's like well, I got to make that a little bit more equal. Um, so that's a long way around. Uh, to, to answering your, your, your initial question where um, I try to make it 50-50 um, male, female, or, or those who identify that way. That's like, I, I won't deviate from that. Ever since that one comment, I figure, well, there's a lot of people out there. There's no way I can't make that happen. Uh, people of color, I try to get 25%, 35%. And these are like, if you look at the conference, it's always held that. Um, I'm trying to make that number higher. The I think my challenge is that Experimentation is not that known outside of America or or some parts of Europe. Didn't so you have people from like 35 countries at the conferences or last year? Yeah, but they're all English. Um, mm. So my, my exposure is, I've tried to do uh, multilingual before, but I realized I can't do anything in other languages because I can't speak it, so I can't edit. <laughs> like hmm, i think they're talking about conversion rate <laughs> I, I have two two or three talks in in french and my french is limited um, i'm from montreal so sadly my french should be better um so when i'm editing like I, i'm pretty sure you're talking about when it comes to portuguese and spanish it got really hard mm -hmm. um, so that's my limiting factor one of my biggest limiting factors is getting to different countries um, because they speak a different language um, i haven't solved for that yet do you think there's value in, or what's the value in doing all these things in different languages rather than one that everyone can kind of understand and come together with? Um, my perspective, so I used to be in e-commerce. I used to um, do marketing there. And one of the, my biggest lessons is that you can't transact, you, you can't go into a different country thinking that they're the United States. So for instance, uh, from Canada, our verbiage is not as aggressive as, as America. And it's definitely not as, it, it's way more aggressive in Canada than it is in the UK. Just that those are basic ones. And then you go to Germany, you can't just translate English into German. You have to transcreate it, not just translate it. Um, and then your site design is not going to work in Japan <laughs> because they have a totally different aesthetic sense. Um, so I, I took all that and I kind of translate it into this kind of expansion of experimentation or what have you, that they have different values and different perspectives that I think we all can learn from, right? Because we all work on global brands and they're going to be represented in these countries that, you know, their perspective should be heard. So I guess that's a roundabout way of saying the simplest thing is that their, their voice is probably, we can learn from it and uh, make something better on our own side. Yeah, it's hard for sure, because on the other hand, there is some sort of like critical mass within these communities as well, because for example, I'm from Estonia, right? And we have 1.3 million people in our country. It's such a small number Sheesh. that just like, <laughs> I don't know, but still for participating in even like the CRO community, which in itself is a pretty small community, like there isn't much happening just within my country, you know, like, I feel like I still need to 
need to participate in these international communities to like get the value out of it and you know market my business and whatever yeah um, so bigger countries obviously have the advantage of like even you know latin america or french speaking like, countries or whatever like i was thinking about brazil recently so like in a few few years ago i started working with folks from brazil and CRO is not as mature there um or at least it wasn't a few years ago and I, I think it's interesting that different countries are different, you know, um, mm -hmm. maturity states in, in Yeah, in CRO. and uh, Netherlands seems to be an outlier. Such a small country, huge CRO community. Yeah. I don't know what's happening there, but... <laughs> no, exactly. It's like some parts of Canada, you have to explain what it is. You're, you're in Canada now, I think. Um, yep. So you, you probably run into that a few times. The United States are they're fairly familiar, I find. Um so, yeah, still my exp i don't know i think it's different on the east coast so i'm on the west coast in bc and here just generally the whole like digital marketing industry e-com doesn't seem to be very advanced compared to europe and the u.s maybe it's mm -hmm. like still most people are in more like traditional industries like people our age even so it's it's kind of interesting that all of that is it feels like it hasn't taken off to its full potential here for some reason I, does vancouver have highways i, I think no. so <laughs> not a major one as far as far as i know maybe that's the that's not helping anything that's just a jab <laughs> of my vancouver friends mm, okay sure yeah okay so back to my questions um Maybe you can give us a little history lesson and take us back in time and tell us about how and when you came up with the whole idea of creating Experiment oh. Nation. Okay, well, I could go way back. Um, so when I when I was one, no, um, that's, that was a joke. So in my last role, uh, I headed up experiment experimentation and I was trying to launch that practice. One of the ideas that we had was, I don't even know why it was an idea, like I, that part escapes me, but we wanted to hold a, a small little event in Toronto. Um, oh yeah, I remember we were trying to hire. Uh, we, were, we were trying to hire uh, Toronto talent. I was from Montreal. I didn't know this area that well, uh, so one of the ideas was like, let's hold a little event and um, invite people, get a brand for ourselves, and, and try to find some folks. Um, being new here, I didn't know anyone, so that's when I started interviewing folks. Just kind of like, hey, let's let's have a talk and. So I had these conversations all with the mind of like building a small little brand so that we were kind of known and we we're going to run an event. That was the, the initial idea. It wasn't a good idea, but it was a, it was, it was the start of it. And I found that those interviews were interesting. I was like, oh, talking to people, talking shop with people who do the same thing as you is kind of interesting. Um, so, so that kind of stuck. I kept doing it for a bit. And, and after a few um, interviews, I went, well, this probably should be bundled into a thing. And I, I did a little bit of a brainstorm around experimentation. Like I, I wanted a cool name, um, but I didn't want abbreviations because it probably wouldn't translate well. And uh, my initial choice was Experimentation Nation. But if you ever try to type that out in a URL, it's the worst. And if you will try to put in a sentence, it won't fit in Twitter. So <laughs> I, I concatenated it. And it was kind of like a wordplay experiment, move the T nation, or add the, I can't remember who they. Um, 
so that that stuck. Th those um, interviews kept resonating, and when I did more of them, more people started following because their friends thought it was cool. Um, that that created a kind of a bit of a feedback loop. Of the more interviews I, more people I talked to, the more I learned, the more that the the, the this little thing grew, and it kept going and going and going. Um, yeah, that that's pretty much the genesis of it. I just kept following what got heat, where I learned the most, and it was the most fun. Um, I guess there's something behind like do what you love. Um, I don't hundred percent agree with that, but there's probably something to it. And when was that? I want to say 2019. I should okay. know this. Like, you know, founders go. We're, we've been around for so long, but you know, it, it, when it's a when it's a side gig, you kind of lose track of that sort of thing. Um, somewhere there, 2019, I think. Mm -hmm. And when was the moment when you felt like, okay, like this is actually taking off? Like we're seeing real growth here. This is Romo Santiago from Experiment Nation. Every week we share interviews with and conference sessions by our favorite conversion rate optimizers from around the world. So if you like this video, smash that like button and consider subscribing. It helps us a bunch. Now back to the episode. Uh, the first conference, I think at that moment. So before that, it was growing, growing, like a follower a day or something, kind of. Oh, this is cute. I'm growing. And then when I used to do the whole thing manually. Oh, you want access to, access to the conference? Here's the URL, because I, I put it on a hidden playlist on on YouTube. Surprise! That's what I still do. Um, so I thought, okay, email me. I'll email you. And I used to be like very personalized. Thank you for following. Uh, um, and at one point, I wake up every morning. It was like 20, 30, 50. and I was like, okay. <laughs> this at, at that moment, I went, okay, this is growing faster than I can handle. Um, I think that was my first taste of it. And I'm realizing that that's why the conference has stuck around uh, pretty much because of, from a growth perspective, it's a little bit of a hockey stick every year. Um, and I realize there's going to be diminishing returns, but that, that's fine. I still have fun with it. Mm -hmm. And one of the anonymous questions for you was that, have you been able to monetize Experiment Nation in any way? Like, do you get paid for it? Oh, billions. Uh, like so much money. Um, no, um, I know I joke a lot. Sorry. Um, in the beginning, I had sponsors, so I thought, "Oh, this is cute. I can I can sponsor this." And it, I think I did it more. I, it was less more less about the money and more about the the legitimacy. Made it feel real. There's a word. Um, this event sponsored by so and so. I was like, "Oh my god, this is this is this is not just me doing it. This is a real thing." Um, but then I, I quickly realized that. Uh, when you do that, you kind of sell it a bit uh, in, in the sense of what you can do, what you can't do. But I was like, uh, no, that's not what I'm going to do with this. So I, I can't remember what, when it's like a year or two ago, um, I went, yeah, screw it. This is, this is all um, out of my pocket, which is why I keep looking for cheaper podcasting solutions like this one. You know, not to disparage quadcast or anything, but <laughs> we'll see how this goes. Okay. Uh, but in terms of like your YouTube channel, yeah, you have over a thousand subscribers now, I think. Isn't that the threshold to monetize with ads? And well, such? that's a great question. There are three thresholds that you have to hit. So subscriber, yes, we, we passed that. It, they, they lowered it to 500. Um, mm. So the, the, the follower threshold is, is easy. The other ones are harder. So either you have to have 3 million um, 
views on shorts. I don't make many shorts. I tried that for a bit. And I'm like, I'm not that funny. Um, so no one's going to watch me. The, the other one was watch hours. You have to have like a thousand something watch hours. Now that's challenging when your videos are 20 minutes long. <laughs> so am I, am I there yet? I'm not quite there yet, but eventually I can make about $5 a month or something. Dream, Encouraging. Dream big. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. They must've changed that at some point yeah. because I think it used to be based only on subscribers, but yeah, it used to be a thousand and then you monetize, uh, about two years ago when I hit something 800, 900, they changed it on me. I went, Oh, you bastard. Oh no. <laughs> just but at the same the time, it would not, it, it's never going to make that much money. I'd have to ramp this up like 10 X for it to be even something, which is, mm -hmm. it's fine. Yeah. True. So do you think of yourself as a content creator now, or you're still more an experimenter who does content on the side? I don't have an answer for this. Am I a content creator? Kinda. I'm kind of like a repurposer of content, I find, because some a lot of these interviews are hosted by friends and and uh, well-wishers in the community, like yourself. And I kind of, yes, I create content, but it's out of content that exists. So I kind of repurposed it. Um, I guess I'm a little bit of an optimizer too, because I, I tweak along the way. I see what's working, what's not working. We used to have really long format, went shorter. Um, even the, if you notice the videos have different orders of things and different calls to actions in different places, that's been like a, we don't have the thousands of, um, uh, views per, per video. So the analytics is sparse. So it's a lot of trial and error. Um, so there's a still optimizer. So it gets a little bit of both. Uh, I, I straddle the line there, but, uh, it's more fun to create the content, I think, because that's the part people learn from. Um, yeah. So I guess I bias towards content. Yeah, the promotion is the hard part, right? Oh, I'm the worst. <laughs> it's, it's what like you'll see me on LinkedIn a lot, but each one's a pain. Each one's like, I have to promote this. I should promote this. Yeah, uh, when we started our business, we were like, okay, we're gonna do content to market ourselves. And I'm like, okay, I made this video. I pressed publish so i'm done and then you realize oh no now the work begins i have to like yeah. start it's promoting a, it it's a fine balance right like we all have social followings and we don't want to be annoying we, d we want to provide uh, value but no one's an idiot either they know that i'm pushing experimentation or optimizing obviously so like everything i say has a little bit of a you know a bias a little grain of salt with it um, but at the same time if i don't do it the traffic doesn't come and then you know you don't get to do it anymore so yeah, the promotion's hard. It, you just try to find a, a style that, that it strikes a balance between value and not selling your soul. What do you use for video editing, by the way? I use, what do I use? Uh, DaVinci Resolve, that's, that's what I use, mm. it's, a, it's free. I used to use GarageBand, which is fine. Um, but I find DaVinci gives you a little bit more things to play with. And I wasn't gonna fork over money to Adobe quite yet. We're not that big. Have you tried Descript? This is, oh yeah. So what we're using now is Squadcast, which is owned by Descript. It's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I've haven't used that as an editor. Um, I think I'll be trying that right after this, to be honest, uh, to try the two things in, in parallel. I get kind of, I get kind of picky in the edit. It doesn't show, trust me, but I get, 
I get kind of picky on the edits, so I want to see how flexible it is. But yeah, I'll be definitely trying it. So the good thing about Descript is that you can sort of edit within the transcript. Like you, you almost don't have to like edit the video itself. You can just like mm. cut out the words within the text. So it's like oh. really easy for like podcast purposes if you're not trying to edit in like visual effects and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll check it out. It might be a, a path forward for for the podcast. Because I, I do make a video and a podcast. Mm-hmm. So video could be a bit trickier. Um, not that I don't think anyone would complain if the video jerked around a bit. And in terms of experiment nation, do you have a longer term vision for it? Or or maybe even let's just go back again. Like what was your vision when you started and has it sort of like lived up to it so far? Wow, that makes it sound like I have a plan. So I'll, I'll, t- I'll share some insight every year and my closest circles will know, will, will attest to this every December. I take uh, a break, um, from all of this for, so you won't see new stuff between December and February something. Um, every year I go through the same conversation of, I think that's it. <laughs> I, I think I'm done. Um, mostly because like how much effort is this? Is it worth doing? Is anyone listening? Um, and every, every, every year I kind of go, ah, let's give it another kick at the can. So when you're asking me a long-term vision, my long-term vision is like months out. Um, but as long as I do it, I, I still maintain my vision on, in terms of giving everyone a voice, but as a business or entity or, or what have you, I don't have a very long vision in, in, in terms of what to do. That's probably not inspiring to anybody. Um, that's the truth. I think it's a good answer. I think it's important to kind of like follow your own interest and what is fun for you to do. And once it's not fun anymore, like it becomes a different thing, right? I mean, there's challenges, right? You're gonna, Mm -hmm. you're gonna have some fun. Um, you're gonna find some challenges along the way and some more often than not, the friction is worth the game. And then one day the friction is gonna be so high. It's not worth it. Um, that's when you should start questioning, um, and make sure it's like, it's feeding your soul in some way. Um, if it's not, then I don't know, like you have the questions like, like, why am I doing this? Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So in terms of that friction, uh, is there any kind of like big fail that you can share with us or something that you, that really made you learn from it or rethink your strategy or Around life goals or whatever? I don't know, just, yeah, something related to experimentation. It's because it's hard to fail when you didn't have many, many, very big expectations, goals. you know, like it's kind of like do what I feel I like, what I feel the community likes. So you don't necessarily fail per se, I guess. It's an experiment. Yeah, I think it's not even a big fail. I tried Wordle once. I don't know if you ever saw that. So there's a CRO Wordle that I tried for a couple of years. If you don't know it, that's why I did so well. Um, there was a kind of a, a trend with Wordle. Everyone liked it. So I thought, oh, what about a CRO inspired Wordle? Um, so there, there, there was m- some time investment, some creativeness. Cause I, you got to come up with uh, a, a shit ton of CRO terms that fit within those six letters or what have you. Um, and yeah, that didn't, that didn't go anywhere. So I, I guess the lesson I learned there is just don't follow the trends blindly. Um, validate an assumption here and there, you know, 
not just for me, for all product people, for all e-commerce people, don't invest two, three quarters into building a feature unless you have a little bit of data. So maybe I should have taken my own my own teachings at that moment. But uh, yeah, I, I guess that's something I learned. Yeah, but I mean, you got to try different things and you don't know what you don't know, right? Yeah, I, I believe in that. I believe in the your portfolio of tests or, or work. You need to have a moonshot in there somewhere where it's like, if this works, that's amazing, but it can't be like 90% of your, your bandwidth. It's got to be a, a small section. So yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. You should try. Do you have any advice for people that are trying to start their own online communities? Hey, why? Why would you do? Why would you want to do that? <laughs> um, because because you need to do it to be successful, you, it seems. You really? Um, do you have any advice? I don't know. I... How can I, at the end of the day, I think it worked because I didn't have much business pressure. Um, you follow the community, you figure out, you listen closely, you, you figure out what they like, they don't like, what they want, what they benefit from. I think once the business gets a little too much in the forefront, people will tune, tune you out pretty fast. So if you're like, um, I don't know, sponsored by XYZ, that, that's part of like the whole sponsorship problem I had before. Where if it's too in front, people are like, oh, this person is just trying to sell me a thing. I'm not going to listen. Um, but we're all trying to sell a thing to some extent. So just you need to find that balance. Um, talk to your talk to your community a lot. Um, that's another another big one. It, 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 it's very similar to product management where you want to know your customer very well and uh, figure that, that their pain points. You're, you serve them essentially when you build a community. And if you don't get why they like you or they don't like you and um, be brave enough to talk to people who may not be that engaged with you, like reach out to someone because I have, I have a Slack channel and I could tell who's not that active and you, sometimes you got to reach out to these people. Hey, what's not working? What's, what's working? And that, that takes a little bit of, um, guts, I guess, because they're not going to like you too much because they, they build, um, just stay attuned to your, to your, um, community, I think is obvious advice, but it's something that, that really works. Um, I guess I did have some advice. So, <laughs> yeah, it's good. And, uh, I agree again, because I see vendors, especially trying to start like similar communities and it's like a struggle for them because everyone can like see it right away that the, the only purpose for starting that is, is selling, right? Yeah. As opposed I've... to having a genuine interest in just connecting with other people. Right. I think some products lend themselves to community a lot more. So I used to be, I used to work at a place called 500px. Um, it's a photography uh, company. I think it's still around. And it was all the, the, the product itself was sharing photos. So that lends itself into a community. You literally have a community sharing photos with each other, commenting on each other's photos. So it was a marketplace in a sense of photos and feedback. Um, so that you can build a community off that when, when your product is sell a thing to someone else, there's no love, there's no communication, really, this is a transaction. Um, I don't know how many people are just, you know, hey, uh, using your product today. Uh, it's it's kind of weird. So I think vendors will always be challenged. I think they can do something around technical stuff, answer my questions to do my stuff. I think, I think there's a space for that. Um, be more of a support type community. But if you if you want them to actively just start talking about randomness that you want to guide this conversation, you're gonna I think you're gonna have a harder time. 
that's just my cringe point. yeah <laughs> it's kind of a, a a reaction of i think we all know what we're talking about and what we've seen in, the, in out there so yeah okay i have a last question for you yes are you ready sure. are you ready i'm born ready okay what is the best country and why is it canada <laughs> that was an anonymous question wait well you're from estonia aren't you i am okay so hold on is canada a good country to you it is i love it okay okay are you going back to estonia anytime uh to live probably not anytime soon oh, um hoping to visit oh nice yeah i've i've lived here for like two What's your years question? already <laughs> <laughs> questions from you um okay no Sorry. i didn't ask that it was it was in the survey i promise you um why is it the best well i like the it's an okay we're close enough to the states to get good tv and good television and entertainment so it's a nice there but we're we're a little less brash uh, than Americans, which I think I appreciate. It's a little bit more. We we're we are a very sorry first community, which maybe we go too far uh, go with, but it's polite. So for the most part, depends if you go to Hastings or not. And, uh, anyway, I, I think it's fairly polite. Um, I like snowboarding, so that's fun. So what else? What, what else do I like about Canada? You know, it, it, the winter is great because it kills all the snakes and the the, the deadly bugs. So that's good. Um, what are if the deadly like, bugs here? Well, you don't see many scorpions. You don't see many um, venomous like black widows in Canada because usually the mm. snow uh, messes them up. If you like hockey, it's great for hockey. Um, I'm running out of stuff here. There's maple syrup uh, and we say A a lot. So I guess that's all right. How much <laughs> maple syrup do you eat on a weekly basis? Um, I always have an extra can in my cupboard. Nice. But not, not that... Not that uh, not that crap you find in the airport, you know, like it's, I'm from Montreal and Quebec makes most of the maple syrup in the mm -hmm. world. And, uh, there's, there's, come in like these ugly cans. Um, and if you're not buying an ugly can from Quebec, it's probably okay. Maple syrup. Mm. But, uh, yeah. I don't think I had maple syrup once in my life before moving to Canada. And now I have it like at least once a week with something. As you should not now you're becoming a true Canadian. I, I guess that's why uh, I guess that's it. I, I'm, I, w I had the opportunity to move to the United States a few times for different for different roles, and I I couldn't I couldn't do it. It's um, I like the diversity of Canada, um, for the most part. It depends where you are. Uh, I guess the the only part I don't like is the prairies because it's very flat and kind of boring. Mm -hmm. Sorry to all my prairie friends. Yeah, and it's hard even for me to speak to the whole canadian experience because i've only lived in one province in one town right and each province is quite different and well you're like, in a good part it's a it's one of the the, the prettier nicest places in canada the nature you, is like insane yeah like it's just amazing. unless you don't like nature then you, you pick the worst place um but i i think you do like it so you'd be good. like you'd hate toronto it's all buildings and stuff <laughs> and cool. again i really appreciate you coming on here because I know that me. it's it's not easy to just kind of sit there and answer questions about your own work and kind of like, you know, be I, vulnerable and whatever. So, well, I hope that we can chat soon again. And yeah. I'm sure a lot of people will find a lot of value in your experience and we'll sharing it. <laughs> okay. I'm hoping, let's, we'll see. 
let's get to those like 10,000 views or whatever you need in YouTube to monetize. So be nice. I, I wouldn't mind like uh, an extra can of maple syrup every month, you know, that's probably what I you'll get there. You'll get yeah. there. Well, I can dream. I have a vision now. <laughs> nice. This is Romo Santiago from Experiment Nation. Every week we share interviews with and conference sessions by our favorite conversion rate optimizers from around the world. So if you like this video, smash that like button and consider subscribing. It helps us a bunch.